This Week in Retronauts is brought to you by Captain Commando. And by Captain Commando, I mean, you know, the original dude who was on the Capcom NES manuals, not the video game character who was some poser. Hi, everyone. This is Jeremy <laughs> Parrish, and welcome to Retronauts, episode 19 Pocket, brought to you by Larry Fronsek, who has requested many things. And the one we decided on was, let's talk about Capcom's NES games, because we've played a lot of them. And what the heck? It goes kind of nicely with last episode when we talked about Nintendo Power. Mm-hmm. Let's just get all all Nintendo up in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so with me this week in the studio, Bob Mackey, Ray Barnhold. Hi. The usual, the usual rabble. Yes, indeed. We're going to talk about some NES games, some of them good, some of them bad, but all of <laughs> them interesting within a historical context. Just the way I like it. Yeah. roll right into Capcom talking about their NES era. So um, the NES era is actually kind of um, synonymous with Capcom itself. The company was established, I want to say 1983. Their first games were Volgus, Exodexes, Sunsun, all from 1983. Um, And they entered the Famicom market in Japan early in 1985. And, you know, so that when the... uh, Nintendo launched, NES launched in America, and third-party titles started to roll out in 1986. Uh, they were right there in the first wave, so they released some of the first NES games as such, you know, like Capcom, NES, Nintendo, all kind of tied up inextricably together. Um, and they, you know, they were, I think, actually, besides Nintendo, the first company to use really strong visual branding for their uh, for their games. They used that packaging, which had the kind of like the blue background mm. With the uh, the three dimensional skewed neon grid, right, and then artwork was inset into that uh, the very, logo uh, on the top. The very picture of the eighties. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Did Konami? Uh, did they do their thing before Capcom because they had the gray boxes? I yeah, the silver boxes. I yeah. think I think those actually came after Capcom. Okay, they were. Yeah, everyone always mixes up Capcom and Konami as a joke. Uh, that's that's like an, a long running joke on NeoGaf. I know. Mm. Um, and it's actually, you know, kind of founded in the fact that those two companies do have kind of a similar place in the NES pantheon. Like, right. they were both companies that made strong visual branding for their packaging and produced excellent video games, top-notch graphics, top-notch notch music. Sometimes there were, you no know, some missteps. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, like, if you bought a game from those companies, you knew, like, oh, this is going to be good. So, um yeah, let's talk a little bit about Capcom. So Capcom entered the Famicom market, like I said, in 1985. And um, originally, um, Capcom was a an arcade company. Um, that's where they got their start. And uh, Famicom was kind of their first entree into the home market. Um, they did do some licensing of, of some of their games to, uh, you know, 
companies to publish on C64 and uh, other platforms, especially oh, yes. in Europe, a lot of PCs. But um, you know, the uh, the 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 published games, uh, the Famicom games and NES games, were the ones that they uh, were the first to publish themselves. Mm-hmm. That was really torturous. In it, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it's been a long session here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, so you know that that was kind of. They're where they dip their toe into the market, and it made sense because you know in 1985 the Famicom market in Japan was just exploding. It was super popular, really, you know, just doing well. Millions of systems were selling, and anyone who published a game on Famicom could be almost absolutely guaranteed that it was going to sell really well. So they jumped into the home market, and at first, because they were an arcade company, they did not have um, in-house console development. So their first few games were outsourced to a company called Micronics. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like so many other of these companies, though. Right. Yeah, I mean, certainly they were hardly the only one. If you look at, uh, if you go to Game Developers Research Institute, you can find a list of games developed by the ghost house known as Micronics. But, um, you know, a lot of that that information has come about through detective work because there are certain trademark characteristics yeah. of Micronics games, certain sounds like the pause jingle, um, you know, kind of the way Konami mm-hmm. had like its distinctive pause jingle. Oh, I love that. Micronics had their own, but it wasn't as distinctive. Yeah, exactly. um, also, the fact that their games usually ran at like 12 frames per second and <laughs> looked terrible and sounded terrible. Yeah. Yuck. I mean, the the first few games that uh, Micronics published for Capcom were 1942, which is an infamously terrible NES port. I mean, the arcade game was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but that also had some problems. <laughs> it did, but you know, it's still it, it was playable. Yeah. It was a decent game. Yeah, but the NES version played like crap. Yeah. Sluggish, bad frame rates, poor collision detection, ugly as hell. And also the uh, the arcade music was like kind of like a staccato Morse code mm-hmm. rhythm. Uh, which somehow turned into just like these ear-splitting bleeps of when course. it came to yeah. Yeah. NES. So not a good start. Ghost and Goblins, also a pretty famously terrible NES conversion. Yeah, I, I, it seems like a lot of people like that version or did at the time. But when I played it uh, at the time, I was just like, this game is ugly and it's 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 hard. I mean, I, it was always supposed to be hard, but it just it just felt it felt like sub NES, like mm-hmm. like it was supposed to be on another console. Right. It just yeah. landed on the NES. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Ghost and Goblins, um, you know, the arcade version is kind of a remarkable game because it's an early scrolling platformer that came out around the same time as Super Mario Brothers. Mm-hmm. I think it was 85. Uh, it was it was like a month or two after Super Mario Brothers. So, you know, it was happening in tandem with the development of Super Mario. And, you know, everyone credits Super Mario for being sort of the revolution in game design that it was. Um, and I do think Super Mario Brothers is a better game, um, just better designed more substantial, less unfair, uh, less abusive to players. Yeah. But Ghost and Goblins looked great. Um, it had some really interesting mechanics, some of them interesting uh, in a bad way, like you know being forced to play the game through a second time to see <laughs> right. the true ending with a certain weapon in hand. Like that's you know not not really intuitive or friendly. Um, yeah, things like the the red armor or whatever it's called. Yeah. Uh, that uh, would swoop down and just instantly kill you. Like it, it was a hard game, not nearly as fair as Super Mario Brothers, but still like kind of revolutionary. The the NES version just always felt kind of janky. That's true, but in some ways it did also <clears throat> sort of 
still have the physics of the arcade game. Like, it did. You know, Arthur's gravity is very distinct, and they sort of replicated that in the NES version. So, I mean... Yeah, the way he jumps kind of reminds me of uh, the way Donkey Kong Jr. jumped in Donkey Kong oh, Jr., where he like kind of splays himself out in midair, and it's a little hard to judge where you're going to land. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right. Exactly. But mm-hmm. yeah, still not yeah, not a great port, uh, considering. And uh, is this a good time to mention uh, Tokuro Fujiwara? Fujiwara? Yeah, I was okay, just about I was to, in, actually. Okay, sorry. I, I no, have notes in front of me. But uh, he's sort of like the Miyamoto of Capcom, early mm. Capcom. And I guess he left Konami um, after Capcom. a year. Oh, he left. He, uh, he joined Konami in '82, but he oh, that's left. Right. He worked on Rock and Rope, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. But um, he was behind like um, a Ghost and Goblins. He eventually left to form Whoopi Camp, which they did Tombow One right. and Two. But um, like a really influential figure. Yeah, um, he worked on Mega Man. He worked on uh, the arcade Bionic Commando. Yeah. Um, there's kind of a visual style that his games have, sort of this cartoonish look to it. Uh, like you know, that was that was what was really striking with Ghost and Goblins. And if you look at um, you know, Bionic Commando in the arcade has right. that same look. Mm-hmm. Pudgy characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. like really yeah. distinctive. And his games also, you tended to have sort of unique mechanics and uh, tended to be really, really hard. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, everyone has left Capcom of note basically uh, today, but all, a lot of the big guys from back then like um, Kamiya and um, Mikami, people like that, they, like he was their mentor. Mm-hmm. So Inafune he, also. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, right. Inafune is actually referred to him sort of as my mentor. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's there's definitely a lot of respect for the guy. Um, he's one of those people that I really hope to interview someday. And, and oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, and strangely enough, we just brought up uh, this game uh, a few episodes ago, but he was uh, the last thing he worked on was Mad World. Oh yeah, original game design. Huh. So very strange, but uh, platinum. So it makes sense. There's a connection hmm. there. Yeah, I wonder what he's doing these days. Interesting. Well, in any case. Um, so yeah, these these early NES games. Did you guys play? I mean, obviously you played Ghost and Goblins. Did you play the 1942 port? Yeah. Did you like it? No, okay. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. It just wasn't available where I was. So yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't played the uh, Famicom version of Sun Sun, which is um, Sun Sun's kind of a weird game. It's like a s- auto-scrolling platformer running, with yeah. multiple levels. Mm-hmm. Um, not not one of Konami or not one of Capcom's <laughs> better games. Oh, no, it's beginning. Ah! <laughs> Not one of Capcom's better games, but but fun enough. Like, oh. it has a lot of neat little details to it. More original than Sun Sun 2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is just a straight-up platformer for PC Engine. Doesn't. Yeah, but it's, it's hard to know exactly when Capcom switched to in-house development uh, for its Famicom games, but I know it did happen somewhere in there, sometime between 1985 and 1987, because... Um, I just hosted a panel at Game Developers Conference where uh, Keiji Inafune was talking about uh, developing the original Mega Man, and he referred to that as the first sort of in-house developed Capcom console game. You know, the the home console division, he said, was really just there to do con- uh, arcade to console ports, mm. and they sort of broke the rules a little bit and developed their own game just because they wanted to do something different. I've I've also heard that Mega Man was supposed to have been an arcade game originally. Hmm. And um yeah. I you know, there's 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 all kinds of different like half stories floating around about it. But in any case, it was um it was Capcom's first nothing else, their first original uh franchise, you know, intellectual property for a console that didn't have an arcade. Game.
before we got the Mega Man, you know, you you had these uh, these other games that came from Capcom in various levels of of decency, um, like the uh, the early version of or the uh, early version, but the early release of Commando um, has always struck me as being possibly one of those Micronics or similarly outsourced games, maybe uh, Tose or something. Yeah. It's really, really kind of a mess. It's pretty rough, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's it's full of secrets, but it's just kind of like you randomly chuck grenades at things and they show up. Oh, which nice. I realized that was, you know, that was like part of the arcade game too, but it's just very graphically rough. And I don't know if that's because it was outsourced to a, a lousy developer or if it's just the internal development team didn't have a lot of experience. But sometime shortly after Commando, there was like a really significant uptick in the quality of Capcom's uh, NES games. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of two console conversions, Trojan mm, and right uh, Section Z. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys have played either of those, like arcade or home versions. I vaguely remember Trojan. Okay. Was that, okay, I could be wrong. That is a brawler? Kind of. Okay. You're a dude. Okay, so you have a Side sword. Scrolling. You yeah. have a sword and a shield. Yeah, okay. And it's yeah, it's pretty much like, you know, like a proto final fight kind of game. Mm-hmm. But um you actively use your shield. And um it's a little it's a little flaky, but it's a it's a pretty interesting game. Um like there are bonus areas you drop down into sewers and stuff. It's all very post apocalyptic. Okay. There's like dudes who right. pop out of, of manholes and windows and throw knives at you. <laughs> And you know you block and attack, and um, it's it's a pretty tough game. You can get, like swipe in certain areas, and power ups will appear, and you can get those and jump higher and become stronger. That's right. And uh, it's like a high fantasy Fist of the North Star. <laughs> yeah, kind of, kind of. But it, I mean, it was a much higher caliber of audio visual quality than than previous Capcom home games. Yeah, and uh, it also you know like just play better. It felt more solid. That's mm-hmm. that's the first of. Capcom's home games that I've actually been able to beat. I, I don't know if I could finish it now, but yeah. you know, back in my idiot savant NES days, I, I was able to play through it and mm-hmm. had a pretty good time with it. Yeah, but I played um, Section Z as well. Um, <clears throat> I mean, all things considered, the arcade version of that is still leagues better. But um, yeah, it's compared to I, let's say 1942. I, I actually kind of disagree. Okay, well, but I mean, this is a thing though. Aesthetically, like, <laughs> to me, Section Z is sort of the prototypical. Uh, Capcom NES arcade conversion. You had the early ones. Yeah. But starting with Section Z, they stopped doing just pure arcade conversions and started really just reinventing the games. I mean, you saw that with Bionic Commando okay, yeah, in 1943. Like, they started adding these new elements in. Okay, maybe I'm misremembering then. But yeah. So um, the arcade version of Section Z is kind of an early version of Sidearms or... Um, sure. what is What is the name of the game with the two dudes, 2P and... Like you're flying around. Scat? <laughs> no, it's you know, uh, forgotten, uh, forgotten, forgotten worlds. worlds. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's really very much a prototype to that because you've got a little dude with a jetpack and you can shoot forward and you can shoot backward and you fly. You can move through 360 degrees, and it's auto scrolling, you know, left to right. Um, but section Z in the arcade is just a strictly linear game. You start at section A and you fight through to section Z and blow up the boss and that's it. Um, but on the NES, it's a really different kind of game. It's, um, I mean, it's it's still a you know, a an auto scrolling shooter, and yeah. you can still shoot left and right and move through six three hundred sixty degrees. But the linearity is just thrown out the window, and it becomes almost mm-hmm. like this um, exploratory 
proto Metroid game. Like it seems maybe inspired by Bara Duke okay. by Namco to some, yeah, some, some I, degree. I can see that. Okay. Um, but it's 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 a really like I think it's a really good game. It's also really hard in the American version because it was originally released for Super uh, for Famicom this system, and it had like the ability to save your progress, which was totally stripped out for the American version. Of course, so um, the U.S. version is really hard, but it it has some interesting mechanics to it. So you know you fly through levels, and at the end of most levels, you come to. Uh, two portals, and you have to pick one or the other portal, and you don't know where it's going to take you, but it takes you to a different stage, and so you kind of end up mapping your way through the different uh, the different areas of the you know of the game, and um, there are hidden rooms and power ups and things along the way. It has a really strange energy system where you have uh, like twenty points of health, and if something shoots you, you lose points of health, but if you collide with something whether it's you know the walls or another enemy or something, um, then it instantly kills okay. you mm-hmm. and, and deducts some of your energy. Like it sends you back to the beginning of the stage and, and takes away some of your energy. But if you lose all of your energy and die, then you're taken all the way back to the beginning of the game. Not cool. Until you beat the first boss, uh, at which point dying takes you back to like the start of that section. But there's like this real maze element to it and a lot of discovery. Like you have to find the secret power-ups and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, you shoot places. And um, it has uh, a missile power-up where you like hit both attack buttons at once and a missile appears in the middle of the screen and you can grab it and shoot it. Um, right. It's it's kind of abstract, but, you know, in as an, as an early NES game, it's... Um, it has a great soundtrack. Hmm. It has really solid play mechanics. Um, it's just a, it's an interesting game. It's very complex and maze like, and kind of has an appeal to uh, you know the sort of player who would like Metroid. Such as All right. well, then fair enough. I guess I was gravely mistaken. Or something. <laughs> uh, I, granted, I also very frequently confuse Section Z with Saycross. Oh yeah, Saycross was like a different company. Yeah. That was, about, uh, that was SCI, I think. Yeah. What about Zexies? Am I thinking of something that else? That was Konami. You're getting Konami and Capcom. And it's like, it's a little guy flying around, too, though, right? Oh, yeah. oh wait, Zexies? was Zexies? That was Zexies. Hudson, actually, wasn't it? Hudson. But yeah. same kind of premise, though, right? Kind of. They're, they're, they like, didn't have the There was Air Fortress. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There were a lot of little shooter dudes. Yeah, yeah I know. Yes. <laughs> But yeah, Section Z has always just been memorable because it does have that sort of complexity of the maze-like element. And another similarity to Metroid is that the final boss is called L Brain. It's a brain <laughs> in space that you have to blow up. Leather brain. Leather brain. <laughs> <laughs> is that what it is? Maybe. <laughs> That's gross. <laughs> so, you know, those were sort of Capcom's early games, but then Mega Man came out and, and changed everything. Mm-hmm. Why don't you guys talk? A We've never bit talked about Mega Man on Retronauts. Uh, yeah. <sighs> you guys talk a little bit. I've I've been. It's this weird little game no one ever cared about. <laughs> uh, Ray, I don't know. Uh, it's about a robot named uh, Rainbow Mighty Kid. Was that one of the original <laughs> names? <laughs> Rainbow Warrior Mighty Kid or something? Yeah. <laughs> kind of like yeah, looks like a Rainbow Boy. Mika. That's from Street Fighter. No, that was one of Mega Man. That was the original name of Rockman. Oh yeah. yeah? He had a bunch of different names he was trying to figure out for them. Rainbow Warrior, Mighty Kid. So, so yeah, Mega Man is cool. It's a robot guy, and uh, yeah, he has his little his little pea shooter arm cannon thing. Looks like a pea shooter anyway. And then uh, obviously, you go through these stages to fight a uh, boss character at the end. And if you defeat them, you get their weapon. 
And their weapon is usually kind of a fun thing. It's a lot different than the standard weapon. And uh, uh, often, more often than not, you will uh, they, that weapon will be strong against the next box, perhaps, or perhaps another boss who is weak to that particular weapon. Well, and that's the thing. There is no next boss because yes. the game presents you at the beginning with six levels that you can choose in any order. Mm-hmm. Capital um, P, perhaps, is what I meant there. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you can freely choose any stage and uh, yeah, sort of uh, determine your own order or uh, just go with what is supposed to be the order dip, uh, according to the weaknesses. Yeah, hmm. And then after you beat all those bosses, you go to face the big bad guy, Dr. Wily, who uh, I think uh, <laughs> eight times out of ten is not really Dr. Wily. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, one thing you could tell me if I'm crazy or not is like in Mega Man 1, which was 87, I noticed that um, there was a real attempt for like a manga style because he was very Astro Boy looking. So all the characters mm-hmm. had these black outlines around them, which was not a motif that was used that often at that point for any of sprites. Oh, and yeah, I thought yeah, it gave yeah. them a much more they, – they really popped off the screen, right. unlike Mario or like all those Micronics ports. <laughs> where um, it was just like there was no outline around the characters. So by Mario 2 and stuff, that would be like a standard thing for sprites in NES games. But I feel like Mega Man was one of the first to sort of go for that hand-drawn style by having black outlines. Yeah, I mean, if you look at games that were contemporary with uh, with Mega Man, you have, you know, like Castlevania was the year before, The Legend mm-hmm. of Zelda was the year before. But, um, you know, uh, I think around the same time uh, we had... Released in Japan, Final Fantasy sure. and um, Zelda 2. And those were like kind of the high end of video game design at that point. Oh, yeah. Mega Man was right up there with them. Like it looked great. Mm-hmm. The physics were really solid. The controls were tight. It had a lot of varied controls like, you know, slippery ice levels. It had, you know, all the different weapons you could acquire plus a non-weapon called the Magnet Beam that was, you know, just for uh, helping you navigate the stages. Um you could theoretically play the game in any order. I mean, some levels were unreasonably difficult if you just jumped in and played them first. Yeah. But, you know, in theory that was there. And then there were the the um, bonus levels at the end, the, the boss levels. And those had some really crazy difficult bosses. Plus, you had to rerun through the boss gauntlet of uh, the previous robot mm-hmm. masters you just defeated. Um, and yep. then the final boss had two forms. So it was that was a lot of content and mm-hmm. a lot of complexity within a video game. And it's it's really impressive that it came from this house that, you know, really yeah. only focused on arcade-style experiences because it did demonstrate, you know, along with, with Section Z, much more of a console development mentality and showed a sea change going on there. I will say that at the same time, you know, in 1987, you had games like uh, Magic Sword, or not Magic Sword, uh, Black Tiger, right. um, where Capcom was starting to think, you know, along the lines of Wonder, some of the you know, Wonder Boy sequels. Mm-hmm. Like, why don't we take these arcade experiences, which are you know really simple brawlers or action games, and add some hooks to them? You know, whether it's hidden areas or some kind of economy yeah. where you can buy stuff at shops and change up the experience and reward players for doing well and make it you know give them more options. Um, but you know, Mega Man was definitely a console game. Like, it's a game that really wouldn't have worked in the arcade. Uh, so to me, that that really kind of sh- says like this is the point at which like Capcom's home division came into its own and became its own entity, mm-hmm. creating its own games. It wasn't just making ports. It wasn't just converting games and fancying them up. It was coming up with yeah. new ideas that really just were suited perfectly for the Famicom and NES. It may have been a good arcade game if like every stage was half as long. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But but fortunately, that's not how it went. Yeah. I mean, the, the the stages are just right for the NES. You can beat the game in maybe like an hour. 
mm-hmm. if you if you if you know it well, but maybe less than that. I don't know. Um, but you know, it's it's challenging. It's really tough, but it's also pretty fair uh, as long as you have the right weapon, you can get through any situation. And part of the the challenge of Mega Man and and, and all of its sequels really is figuring out like where can I start out? Where what what yep. level is is good to work through mm. with just the basic weapons? Yeah. And then from there, figuring out like, well, now that I have this new weapon, how can I? Uh, where, where's the best place to go from here? Yeah, and, I, st- I still don't. I, I I haven't figured that out with Mega Man Ten yet. <laughs> uh, I've only played through that yeah. once, so yeah, I can't I can't really speak to that. But, um, you know, following Mega Man and uh, Section Z, you started seeing some really inventive, dramatic reinventions of arcade games coming from Capcom. They were creating original console titles, and then when they were converting their arcade games to NES, you know, they realized that, like, we're making some really great-looking arcade games, and we're not going to be able to sell just on visual appeal on the NES, so we have to add more to them. Mm -hmm. And some of the changes are a little controversial, but... I'd say by and large, they were pretty successful. I mean, Bionic Commando was a totally different game on NES, and in my opinion, is one of the best games of the 8-bit era uh, on NES, whereas the arcade game is kind of interesting and neat, but not really that great. And uh, Little Nemo, as well as also an arcade game. I'm not sure which came first, but the Little arcade... Nemo, no. <clears throat> oh, I played the arcade game by Are Capcom. you thinking of Willow? No, no. Little Nemo. There was a Nemo arcade Maybe game. Maybe not in America. Oh, oh, but, oh, oh um, yeah, just Nemo. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah. It came after, I believe. But there was no animal suit mechanic or anything. It was just a straightforward. You, I guess you threw candy or something. I forget yeah. what you did, but uh, <laughs> it looks really good. I remember it looking really I, good. I, uh, oh, I, I hesitate to call it a run and gun, but that was basically what it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the NES version kept the the train auto scrolling stage, but it was a much different interpretation yeah. of that. But um, hmm. yeah, I mean Willow as well was a, a different arcade game, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean totally two totally different games um, to the point that I wouldn't even consider them related. Yeah. Uh, whereas Bionic Commando was just like adding tremendous depth and refinement to a, a really neat idea in the arcade. Hmm. Right. Um, 1943, um, you know, they, they retained the fact that it was a shooter, but they added a very slight RPG system to it in that you could, yes. you know, skill you were, points. You were, yeah, you're yeah. given skill points and you could customize how your fighter worked, um, added a password system. So, you know, it wasn't just something you had to play through in a single grueling session. Right. Um, Strider was a completely different game, and that wasn't actually a conversion of the arcade game. They were developed in tandem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, we talked about that. Oh, wait, no, future episode. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, we got to stop recording these you, out of sequence. <laughs> you mentioned Willow. I've always wondered, is that worth playing through? I, it, was just, it was never available to me as a kid. I know the music is great. And... I really liked Willow when it was first released. I don't know how I would think about it, what, how I would feel about it now. Hmm. It's a very Zelda-style game. Yeah. Um, with some, like, kind of some weird limitations. Um, like you have to reach. It has an RPG leveling system, and you have to reach certain skill levels in order to be a in order to be able to uh, wield certain swords that you've acquired. Mm. So you can get like the great, you know, the high level weapons early on, but you can't use them until you have the requisite skill level. Mm. So that's a it's a little bit weird. Have you played it, Ray? No. Okay. Actually, I know a few of my friends had it as a kid, but mm. yeah, it, it never appealed to me. Mm. I mean, it's it's pretty short and simple. Okay. Um, I think I. 
played through it in a weekend back in the day. Um, as far as NES Zelda clones go, I like Crystallis a lot, a lot better. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Crystallis is how you pronounce it. Uh-huh. Um, let's see. Some other arcade conversions. Uh, Street Fighter 2010, which uh, wasn't originally <laughs> really <laughs> a, a Street Fighter game. Yeah. What a weird Japan. game. It is. Yeah. They just kind of shoehorn some Street Fighter names into it. Yeah. I know. Oh, man. It's it's a strange game. It's really complicated and really kind of unfriendly. Yeah, but it, like, it looks great. I remember it renting great. it, and like the game starts, and you have to find the enemy. You have, you have to fight. How does it work? Do we know like what the like? Oh, I just remember just, it just being very unintuitive. Yeah, it's, like, it's not what you think it will. You have to defeat an enemy, and then you have like ten seconds to escape from the level. Or you're that's alive. what I'm thinking of. Yeah, just yeah. one thing I could never get over, and that might, that might have been it. It's kind of like Alien Soldier. Yeah, from kind Treasure. Of. Yeah, hmm. it's like a precursor like, to it's, that. It's super complex and dense, and yeah. it takes place in the far off year of 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um <laughs> I never actually played the game back in the day because I was like I, the first time I discovered it was after I discovered Street Fighter 2 mm-hmm. and I just said well this is stupid Yeah, it is what, what is this crap <laughs> it but is. you know I actually did finally play it in 2010 Okay, because I was like hey it's 2010 I should play Street Fighter 2010 so I played it and I was like oh this is really hard and not intuitive at all but mm. it's pretty it's kind of it, good it in is its pretty. Way. maybe just watch the Games NCX yeah. episode yeah. Ooh, I will do that that's cool and then finally, the last of the notable Capcom arcade conversions, at least that I can think of, is uh, Mighty Final Fight. Which, yeah. Oh, oh, I love right. it. I which love was it. really, really cool. Was yeah. that two-player? I never played it. Uh, ooh, boy, I don't think so, actually. <laughs> but, uh, of, you know, they, they released, Capcom released um, Final Fight as one of the first notable games for Super NES. Mm-hmm. It was horribly compromised. But then on, on NES, they were just like, let's make everyone a midget. It did, this feel like a it's, Cuneo it's game. Much, it's, yeah, it seems it seems yeah, more yeah. fitting. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it also has an experience system like ninety forty three oh, yeah. almost. And uh, River City Ransom. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, but not as deep. But uh, yeah, pretty fun. I mean, yeah, it, this was released in like ninety three. I think. I think. And so, oh yeah, really, yeah. really late. What you said, Final Fight was one of the first Super NES games. This is mm-hmm. one of the last NES games, and so it, yeah, it has a high bar of quality. And uh, that's on the Japanese Virtual Console for 3DS, so I assume yeah. it's going to make its way west at some point. Hmm. It was on the uh, Game Boy Advance Capcom Mini Mix. It was, along with Strider and... Bionic Commando. Bionic Commando. Yes. That was a pretty good compilation, except yeah. everything was squished yeah. because mm-hmm. of the Game Boy Advance. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, in terms of, you know, th- those were the arcade conversions, which were, you know, pretty pretty ambitious and pretty... I think they were canny. They 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 yeah. were created with an awareness that the NES just couldn't recreate the arcade experience. So let's give people something that's better suited to the console. Yeah. But then uh, they also created a lot of original games based on licenses, mainly Disney licenses. Oh yeah. Um, starting with Mickey Mouse Capade, which they actually didn't create. They hu- they licensed that from Hudson. Mm-hmm. What a bad and start. And poopy. <laughs> yeah. And I think I've said before on Retronauts <laughs> that because it was so terrible, I completely ignored every other Capcom a, Disney yeah. game. I was like, <laughs> DuckTales, what crap. I uh, know a friend of mine did Rent and Rescue Rangers. I was like, oh, yeah. that, was, that was okay. It's surprising <laughs> that they managed to make something decent here. I mean, but I skipped all the uh, other ones. Adventures in the Magic Kingdom, The yeah. Little Mermaid. Well, that one isn't that. DuckTales, yeah. uh, Tailspin, Chippendales, Rescue Rangers 2. Mickey Mousecapade, uh, just the, the sprites alone are just terrifying. I mean, there nothing is depicted as it should be in that game. It just... Uh, I don't even know. Like, was it an '86 Famicom game or something? It felt like it was much it was really early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, mm. I think Hudson's B shows up in a Capcom game for the only time in the yeah. Uh, mm. yeah. 
Yeah, it looks and feels a lot like Adventure Island. <laughs> so. lot, yeah, lots of weird like early Famicom secrets, like a lot of invisible things okay. uh, that are hidden. Um, just a lot of really strange mechanics, like getting getting minis stolen from you. Well, you, of course, um, you can blame Hudson for ninety percent of that crap. Yeah, yeah, it's all Hudson. I'm not. This is all. <laughs> no, I mean yeah. in in the whole pantheon of all those. Yeah, yeah, Famicom um, Island Secret Castle. That's what it feels like mm-hmm. in its own uh-huh. way. Yeah, which is Hudson. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yes. If Darkwing Duck is like Mega Man, then certainly. So I don't know if you guys want to talk any about the uh, NES Disney games. Well, I mean, they're I, probably worth talking about to some degree. Right, right. There's been an episode. There has been an episode. If you want to look up, we did it at One Up. I'm not sure where it is now, but you can find it. But uh, it was it went over all the Capcom NES games and uh, probably even the Super Nintendo ones. I don't remember. But uh, what I mean, what struck me about those games and just like Mega Man was just the uh, really great use of the um, limited technology where. Every pixel on that sprite was meaningful, especially when they were trying to translate a very expressively drawn character to this tiny little squat representation. Uh, down to like Uncle Scrooge, you had like the top hat, the spats, uh, the glasses, the, everything. There, there's so much detail packed into that character. And I think that's Inafune mm-hmm. who did that art. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can blame him or congratulate him or yeah. whatever you want to say. <laughs> but yeah, uh, that was important. Just the representation of the characters as they looked um, was just a very important part of those games. I mean, they were good games to begin with, but the quality was there from just like the art onwards. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yep. And, um, you know, other internally developed stuff, uh, after the success of Mega Man, Capcom was like, okay, don't do any more of those, but they made Mega Man two anyway. Mm-hmm. And that did really well. So all of a sudden Mega Man became this annualized thing and, uh, interest yeah. seemed to drop off pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah well. <laughs> did you, did you guys actually follow Mega Man of the day? I, yeah, I tried to, I mean, I, I've said this before. I was into Mega Man Four, but I didn't actually buy it or end up owning it. Then years later, I would get five and six. Yeah, I, think, I like six a lot actually. But before uh, before X came along, I think four was the last one I was excited for. After that, it just felt like um, yeah, right, right, yeah, yep, same here. Mega Man X, yeah. like yeah, I've had enough. But I, I eventually rented five and six and beat them. They felt like much easier than you know the ones before, but they were okay. I just uh, Napalm Man, kind of creepy. Yeah, uh, I rented five and just. Couldn't stay interested in it long enough to beat it. But uh, in retrospect, I do think 6 is probably the most overlooked game in the franchise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is, that is, that, is that the one Nintendo published? Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, because at that point, Capcom was like, uh, who cares? Yeah, <laughs> you take this. And it's probably just as well that they ended up, you know, Nintendo ended up taking duties because otherwise that would have been one of those holy grail things for years. Oh, years. yeah. Oh, yeah. Lord. <laughs> Weird. Uh, so no, uh, oh, I guess uh, I guess we talked about one of their RPGs on the uh, on an earlier episode, Capcom, uh, Destiny of an right. Emperor. Destiny yeah, Emperor. we did. Um, did they make any other RPGs? I mean, like, um, Sweet Home. Yeah, I was gonna say. Uh, like, okay, yeah. Speaking yeah. of Holy Grails, um, they did release some kind of interesting Jap- Japan only games. Not a lot, mm-hmm. but um, definitely the probably the biggest one was Sweet Home. Right. Which, what? Not pro baseball serial murders. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the other one I've got here. <laughs> Um, pro baseball serial murderers is uh, mainly notable because uh, it is basically the game they were supposed to be making while they poured their heart into Mega Man 2. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Cool. 
But Sweet Home is a much more notable title mm-hmm. for being the prototype for Resident Evil in a, in, a, in a sense. But I haven't played it, so tell me about it. It's it's super ahead of its time. It's an RPG uh, where you have, I believe, is it five characters, Ray? Yeah. And it's based on a, a movie that came out around the same time. Um, it's right. a licensed game. and uh, So it's the Parasite Eve of its day. Right. Oh, yes. Right. But it, it is eventually, uh, it would like, it kind of spawned Resident Evil eventually because you have the door animations, you have the exploring a spooky place with more than one character. But in this game, you had five characters that you could split up and you had to split up to, start, to save certain, sorry, to solve certain puzzles, but then there was an RPG battle system. So it was a weird mix of like adventure game and RPG all from an overhead perspective um, with a horror theme. So, and it's all fully translated. I think we talked about this on the fan translation episode. So uh, yeah. Yeah. And the battles all have like that weird uh, chance meter thing where your commands may not always hit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This, yeah. I need to play through it. I, I feel like that's a huge gap in my RPG uh, knowledge. Yeah. Hmm. And yeah, they, um, yeah, they weren't too big in our RPGs otherwise. No. <laughs> For a little bit. Not until uh, Breath of Fire, really. Mm-hmm. That's right. No. And now they're still not big in RPGs. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't last well, I guess long. if you consider Monster Hunter and Deep Down RPGs. Or not Deep Down. Oh, yeah, Dragon's Monster Dogma. Hunter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's... Pretty much um, the span, the gamut of uh, Capcom stuff. They did have some sort of oddball late era NES material that um, kind of spanned spanned a wide gamut. There was uh, Gargoyles Quest Two, a an NES sequel to a Game Boy. Game. Yeah, that was later ported to Game Boy. Yeah. <laughs> oh crap! <laughs> it, was, it was reverse ported or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, that's one that I've never played. I, you know, I really liked Gargoyles Quest, but I've just never played the sequel. I so, hear it's um, good. Yeah, Me I too. mean, it's on. Uh, that's another one that's on the Japanese Virtual Console. So mm-hmm. hopefully that'll come over here. Um, another one is uh, Codename Viper, which was not oh, yes. a port, but is basically <laughs> the most shameless ripoff of uh, Rolling Thunder I've ever seen. Uh-huh. I mean, it's mm. incredibly <laughs> oh, yeah, similar to Rolling right. Thunder. Oh my god, it's it's crazy. It's it's really good. It's it's really well made. It was called Dead Fox in Japan mm-hmm. for no particular reason. Um, it has the usual like Metal Gear. Your boss is actually the bad guy. Twist. In Gasp. this case, he's like a drug runner or something. I don't know. Oh no, but, uh, that speaks to the nineties. Yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it, it mostly takes place in in tropical, Amer- tropical South America, and it has a very tropical look to it. Mm. Um, like lots of greens and, and earthy browns, and then the final level is a uh, your your commander's basically a big palace. It's full of weird elevators and stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty good game, you know. Despite the fact that it was a total ripoff, and my main memory of the game is actually um, for a while, a friend of ours was staying with us um, for like I don't know for like a month, um, and he was about my age, and he never really played video games, but for some reason he he got really addicted to that, and he would spend hours and hours trying to beat it. It's like a six level game, hmm. and it took him weeks to beat it. <laughs> And you know it has passwords to start at the beginning of every every level. Um, it he just wasn't that good at video games, but eventually he persevered and he beat it, and he was just so proud of himself. And wow. I was proud of him too, and also happy that I wouldn't come home and see that game playing every yeah, time. No kidding. I'm looking at the box art for this game, and one thing I we forgot to mention that I just remember now that is that the Capcom USA's box art template had two phrases on it. State high of the art graphics. and high resolution. high resolution. What is a, what is a high resolution NES game? Can someone help me out here? It's, I feel um, like uh, they're uh, that's false advertising. Yeah, two fifty six by two twenty four. Yeah, you can't get higher than that, guys. What are you what are you doing? <laughs> uh, but also the whole Captain Commando thing. I guess I guess you mentioned it. Um, 
yeah, earlier. That was that was kind intro. of a like a, a U.S. marketing thing where the Captain Commando was like their mascot, who was this dude with like uh, you know very seventies disco looking space warrior, mm-hmm. broad collar, uh, open open shirt. I think um, flowing blonde hair, guns in both hands. And he offered you ten dollars off other Capcom games. Yes. I think. Yeah, and possibly a sticker or something. I don't know. Yeah, he's sort of like the hero from Far Cry Three: Blood Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Wow. Um, and uh, one, you know, I, I don't know if they developed it internally. I don't think they did, but um, for whatever reason, when Taxan decided not to publish the GI mm-hmm. Joe NES sequel, Capcom did. But I think that was developed by Kid. So mm-hmm. um, at least it's it looked like all of Kid's games. It looked like the first GI Joe and had that same sort of weird like circular globular art style in the background of like low G man. Mm, that's right. Oh, oh sure. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Some weird stuff. Um, but that's actually about it. I mean, that's quite a few games. I Are, played a I lot. skip anything? N- no, no. Are we really talking no. about NES? Yeah. Just, okay. I was just sure NES. Game Boy was part of this or not. You didn't skip anything important, but I did play a lot of gold medal challenge 92. <laughs> Cause I got it. What was that? Was that like sports? It was, yeah, it was supposed to be like their Barcelona Olympics game. But yeah, it was just track and field as as a Capcom game, essentially. See, that's why everyone gets yeah. Capcom and Konami confused. What about things that Capcom did not release, like the California Raisins NES game? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot about Yo Noid. Yes. Wow. Which was uh, Magic John. No. You're Ma- thinking of Totally oh, Rad. Oh, no, that's Totally Rad. Yeah. I, it was it was a similar conversion for the U.S., though. Yo Noid was Masked Ninja Hanamaru yes, for the Famicom. Yeah. Very similar game to uh, Wagyon Land from Namco. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, in fact, like... Like with quizzes and stuff between stages? Right. Uh, pretty sure, yeah, probably developed by the same people, I'm sure. Um, but also, like, Yonoid and Hanamaru were, like, released in the same year. So hmm. one was finished before the other, I'm sure. Uh, but never released until then. Yeah, that's such a strange video game. They 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 made a video game about a marketing campaign. Yeah, I mean there was um, I mean there was the yeah, Seven cool Up spot. game. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just said California Raisins. They were gonna make as well. Yeah, yep. <laughs> I I had like an issue of game players. I had an entire like blowout of California Raisins game well, screenshots up until the end. I mean the yeah. game's finished. Yeah, it was right? finished yeah. basically. Oh yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah. there's the uh, prototype ROM is out there now, so uh-huh. you can definitely. Play I, it. I mean, I think by the time Yo Noid came out, I think Noid Noid Mania had had passed, had long since. But I don't remember the, the Noid being on the on the tips of our tongues as children. It felt like I don't a know. Thing he, from... The Noid campaign lasted for several years, so mm-hmm. I think it was still kind of you know waning at that point. I, I guess think so. Maybe Bob and I were just young enough to have not have it imprinted on our. Yeah, <laughs> lucky <psyche>. you. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, as a game, I don't think it's really that bad. I, I feel like people just uh, paint it with this brush because of who it's associated with. But it's an okay game. Uh, I didn't think it was that fun. I mean, I, it's it. it's not terrible. It's not like uh, co- Cosmic Capers or whatever the hell, or like a Color Dreams game. Oh yeah, co- uh, Captain Comic. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it, j- it just doesn't stand out really. It's, it's yeah. okay. But, I, I mean, I, yeah, you could say the same thing about Ninja Turtles games. Basically, they're all pretty standard beat 'em ups. I mean, mm-hmm. they don't really change up anything necessarily, but. They're all right, you know. You didn't waste a child. You're, with you're them confusing Capcom and Konami again. No, on purpose. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I don't think we mentioned. Um, Give me a break. I mean, I mentioned. Uh, I, I, I briefly mentioned, but uh, Little Nemo. It was licensed game mm. for a movie that did come out here. Didn't come out here. Mm. I don't remember. It did, it did. It did. Okay. And it was just a but, really, really great use of the license. Um, even though I don't think Nemo climbed into animals' mouths, 
But I just like how weirdly, bizarrely inventive it was with all of those forms. It felt like a real Mega Man-y kind of thing. Yeah, I'm actually kind of disappointed to know that it was based on a movie that was released around that time because I really want a video game based on a cartoon property from like 1910. <laughs> yeah. I, I, for the longest time, I was like, wow, that's such a random thing for them to base a cartoon on. But that's cool. Yeah. Oh, it's a movie. There was uh, no uh, Gertie the Dinosaur um, <laughs> beat him up. But that game is also a good symbol of games that were just trying to rip off Mario 3 in a possible way because that yeah, happened a lot the in Japan. Suit, yeah. uh, frog suit. Yeah, this, once Mario 3 came out, like everybody was trying to make a game just like it. This is a sidebar, and I want to do a live stream of this game, but uh, Tiny Toon Adventures for the NES is mm-hmm. such a Mario 3 ripoff. Sure. But it is Mario 3 That's made... Capcom, is it? No, but it's a sidebar. <laughs> it's we're Konami! Ta- we're talking about Mario doing? 3 ripoffs. <laughs> That game is made by jerks. It is like Mario 3 with all the fun removed and oh, like yeah. extra punishing. It's mm. like the Dark Souls version of Mario 3, but it's yeah. not fun. Okay. Like, watch for the live stream, people. It's coming. All right. Well, um, clearly we've talked about everything we have to say about Capcom and ES because now we're just <laughs> talking about Konami again. And what about Bucky O'Hare? <laughs> it happens. And the little people. <laughs> Damn it. So I guess that's uh, that's about it. Any any thoughts on the legacy of Capcom's NES games? Uh, it's certainly a great legacy, one that uh, people usually refer back to when complaining about them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's uh, true. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Um, yeah, I mean, for the longest time, I really felt like Capcom could do no wrong. It helped that you know they were really strong going into the 16-bit generation too. Uh, they yeah. kind of phased out their 8-bit development in about 1992. Um, so, like, some of their late games, Chippendale, Chippendale's Rescue Rangers 2, DuckTales 2, like, pretty hard to come by these days because they were produced in small quantities and they mm-hmm. switched over to Final Fight and Breath of Fire and games like that. Um, but, you know, like, it was a really great console legacy and uh, really established them as a premier Nintendo developer, like a third party you always watched for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think once they switched their box art template to like that purplish hue, that uh, you know, that really became like something you 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 looked out for and like with the Konami silver boxes, like yeah, you yeah. had a good chance that this was going to be good. I mean, not coincidentally, I think that started with I want to say Bionic Commando. Hmm. So there you go. Mm, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I think it was more early '90s when they changed over to the purplish boxes. Well, they got rid of the. Um, they got rid of the grid. They did, but Bionic Commando was just different in that sense. Oh, it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. They were moving towards it, let's say. All right. But yes. The transition had begun. Okay. So anyway, that's Capcom. Thanks to Larry. Oh, my God. I forgot his last name. Fronzik. Fronzik. Thank you, Larry Fronzik, for suggesting this topic. Thank you, everyone else, for listening. Thank you, Bob and Ray, for sitting in this mm-hmm. stuffy, stinky vault with no me. No problem. <laughs> and um, that's it for this episode. Be sure to check us out on our website, retronauts.com. Check us out on Twitter, on Facebook, on Twitch TV, on YouTube, on um, – I think that's it. That's it. Yeah, we're, we're retronauts in all those <laughs> locations. Um, stay in tune, stay in touch, etc. Go to iTunes and uh, tell us that we're cool. Tell the world that we're cool. Uh, you don't need to tell us. We're okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, if you're interested in, in supporting us through merchandise, you can go to fangamer.com. I think it's .net. .net. But if you just type fangamer into just your Googler. And they, they sell a Retronauts t-shirt and it's really cool. Right. And I need to buy one. Um, and I guess that's everything. So 
Thanks again, and stay tuned for next week when another episode will be flying your way through the ether.